MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Tura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts carol g juan gabriel christina aguilera what do these three have in common you mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct. But most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right! All right! This is the Doug Gottlieb Show. Here's In the Bonus with Doug Gottlieb. What up, it's Doug Gottlieb Show. In the Bonus, Fox Sports Radio, iHeartRadio app. What up? Welcome in. So, if you follow me on the gram at Gottlieb Show, you might have a little hankering, uh, an idea okay, of... What's uh, what's going on, right? And what what I've I've been up to. So, um, you know, my travels usually take me somewhere covering basketball this time of year, and it's going to crank up in about a week and a half. Uh, going to be an incredible week. Like um, I do a I do games now on the radio for Westwood One, who covers the NCAA tournament, and for Compass Media. And um, I have UCLA Arizona one last time. That's in Poly Pavilion week from Thursday, Duke, North Carolina in Cameron Indoor Stadium. That's a week from Saturday. And uh, then uh, I think the Big South Championship, the West Coast Conference Championship, then the Big Ten Tournament, then the NCAA Tournament. So I'll be at a, so many different basketball games. Kind of had a Busman's Holiday over the weekend. Do you guys know the term Busman's Holiday? Busman's Holiday? Busman's Holiday is like for a busman, you ride the bus. Like things that you do at work. You do in real life. I mean, basically every day, if I don't work, it's a busman's holiday because I talk about sports in life and then I get to talk about sports to whatever. But um, Jay, I, when you were a kid, did you play with any youth travel teams that went to Vegas? 
Negative. No. Okay. So, I wish. so when I was a kid, you know, um, uh, here's how it worked going up in Southern California. It used to be travel basketball, not AAU basketball. And um, you, in February, Valentine's Day was always the Goleta Boys Club Valentine's Day tournament. Right? We won that when I was in sixth grade. The great Adam Jacobson bailed us out. We watched Hoosiers the night before. I remember that one. So you do Valentine's Day there, and then Easter you would do in Vegas. It's like all Easter week. And this is back when, and I don't know when we got to this place, it felt like everybody's spring break was lined up. Now, if you have multiple children, they're at multiple schools, you're sitting here nodding if you're listening to this show in your car or whatever. No one has the same spring break anymore. Like in California, some schools have ski week, which is in February, and kids literally go to the mountains and ski or they go to Hawaii. Like they have a lot, a lot, of, a lot of loot. Right, that's in February. And then it's anywhere from March into April or whatever, mid-April. It's like, I don't know whether it was to keep the cost down, whether, I, I don't know why all the calendars are so different. But most of March and into April, somebody has a spring break. It used to always be right around Easter. So there used to be an Easter tournament. Anyway, and then summers, there's always big tournaments there in the summer. Well, uh, I am not, really a planner and the way this tournament that we, I, I coached my son's team in a tournament this weekend, it's a circuit, right? So you play a bunch of different teams in a, on a circuit. And, um, <clears throat> and what I, what I found is that last time we went, we stayed at a really nice hotel. We stayed at the Aria, which is beautiful. I mean, really, like when you think of if you're old enough to remember old Vegas, even the nice rooms were kind of cheesy, right? They were like Romanesque. They were gaudy. Like it it felt like something that like Trump designed the whole town. Everything was like over the top with gold and stone. And now that kind of mid strip area is very sleek, very modern, right? Really, really cool. And Fountain Blue is really nice. That's at the north part of the strip. Anyway, so I went old school this time, and we stayed at a place called the Alexis Park. You ever heard of it? <laughs> no. Okay. Alexis Park is, it's really close to uh, Virgin Hotel, which used to be the Hard Rock on Harmon. It's kind of in between Virgin Hotel and the Tropicana. So it almost backs up to McCarran a little bit. And it's a gigantic, I want to say nice motel. But the the allure to it is... Basically, I got a two-bedroom apartment with a couple pull-out couches. So for two nights, uh, most the parents all stayed somewhere else, and I had of our seven players, I had six of them, and I had one like my assistant coach is a young guy. He helped out, and I got to tell you, like things have changed, and kids are different, but they're still the same. The difference now is they can communicate with all of their other friends because of their phones, right? So it's not as much. But if you take away the screens, it's the same thing. They'll do hide and seek. They'll go hop in the pool. They'll play video games. If they bring their gaming system, right? That all that all works. Okay? That's it. So, I don't know. I just, I, I Lorena asked me, she's like, you look, are you guys you're tired from your weekend in Vegas? We drove there and it did take a long time driving on a Friday. Probably not a great idea. Now I did it because like, I love the team bonding thing. 
I just think it's very, you can always fly to Vegas and certain tournaments will fly to Vegas, but I kind of dig a good drive, you know, stop in Barstow. We stopped in Baker at the mad Greek, you know, and I like, I also like the fact that when I'm there, I have my own car so I can get around town. Although I was having to rent a car or Uber everywhere. I, I don't, I don't dig that nearly as much. So some of it's a cost, uh, cost saving thing. And then on the way home, we, uh, we did, we did top golf when we were there. That was fun. And we walked around the strip a little bit. Uh, on the way home, we did a, um, a game and it was called, not Telegraph. What was it called? Mm. Try to think what it was called. Uh, wavelength. And it's basically 20 questions, only kind of like hot and cold. You go like percentage of, of what it ultimately is. And again, kind of same thing. Like when we were, when you were a kid, did you play car games? Like we, I, I moved here across country. I was six years old. And among the car games I remember playing, we did the alphabet game on license plates, right? See an A, then who sees a B, then who sees a C, then who sees a D. 20 questions. And this is just like a new incarnation of 20 questions. Yeah, Lorraine, like you look like you want to. Well, add we used to do the like out of state license plate game. Mm-hmm. So you'd see that, and you get to punch someone. Same with the the buggy game, slug bug, bam. Apparently, we have a thing with hitting people. Slug bug? Oh, slug bug, you always do. Yeah. <laughs> slug bug, you always do. You always do that. Who doesn't do slug bug? But then again, it's like anything. People think take things too far, which brings us to a topic that. I find to be an annoying topic because every year we take the bait as college basketball broadcasters and that's taking the running on the court thing, the court storming uh, in the wrong way and somebody getting hurt. And should we do away with court stormings? Uh, Jason Stewart, let me just ask you, you're usually a cynic on just about everything. True. Yep. Um, When I say court stormings, Mm -hmm. what do you think? I just think it's one of the cool things to be involved with. Um, we beat J.R. Ryder and the UNLV Running Rebels in 94, 95. I was part of a court storming at Titan Gym, which is, is a small version of any other regular <laughs> arena. Uh, and it was one of the coolest things I ever did. So for me, like to take the, that away from the college kids and the court storming would just be kind of taking away a part of college and college sports, you know? I agree. I agree. And, you know, like it's one of the things that separates the college experience uh, when you have a sports team. Like now, look, like everything, there's limits. You know, you don't get to be on the field during the game. You don't get to be on the court during the game. And Wake Forest security appeared to be pretty lax because those kids were on the court before uh, before the buzzer even went off. And I think that's probably our biggest problem in society is we want it now, 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 now. And also we have this thing, which I'm sure always existed previously, but even more so now where um, we feel like all of our voices need to be heard in terms of even it even works in trash talk, you know, with fans like you run on the court, you're celebrating your team's win. You don't have to say anything to the kids walking off the court. Like You don't have to. But that takes some personal discipline. You know, you're in real close proximity to them. You just got to be a little disciplined and because you're going to ruin it for everybody. But I also think I've, I've been doing 
this for, I think, 21 years, 22 years. God dang, I'm old. Okay. And I feel like the ending court storming is a discussion we have every year. It's like every year there's a court storming and something happens like someone's going to get seriously hurt. We got to end this thing. Like there's nothing wrong with having a good time. I remember we only stormed a court once when I was at Oklahoma State. We beat Oklahoma. And by the way, it was the only time we beat Oklahoma at home. I know they lost to him again uh, Saturday on a crazy shot, an unbelievable game in Gallagher-Iba. But my sophomore year, we beat Oklahoma. Uh, We came from behind. It was on Valentine's Day. And my boy Brian Montanati got carried off the court. And I would guess that if we called and had him on, he would say, I've done a lot of things. I played professionally. We played in the Elite Eight. His son is going to be a a high school All-American and, you know, be one of the, probably a McDonald's All-American. He's played for USA Basketball. My guess would be that being carried off the court at our alma mater in his sophomore year where he only played in about half the games is probably the highlight of his athletic life. Um, So I, I just... People who are calling, it's weird, will quickly react and think we should we should stop court storming yet. There's plenty of other things that have gone wrong or could go wrong in all parts of society where I was like, well, you know, we make a lot of excuses. I'm not making, we're not making any excuses for it. I like Filipowski looked like he freaked out. Guys running at him. He stuck his hands out like that happens. It's actually a real reaction. Shouldn't come anywhere near him. Security should have been better. Let's hope he's fine. Like he's a really good player. He's a great player. So I don't want anything to happen to him. I just taking court stormings out of college basketball. I don't know. That's like taking fight songs away. Like you said, it only happens really in two sports. College basketball and college football. It doesn't happen anymore in the NBA. In the NBA, they don't do that anymore. They used to the Celtics. A lot of times that they would, they would storm the court when they beat the Lakers when a championship and I thought that was a little wild, right? But again, part of it is our, what's the word I'm looking for? Our resistance to it, our built-up resistance to it was, um, our built-up resistance to it is less than it used to be. Like everything is more, is everything is a bigger deal than it used to be. Again, go back and watch, like the this is in the eighties and they were chanting terrible stuff at the Lakers and they would storm the court and the guys would just get out and feel like they were just getting out for their lives, but still had it like it didn't go away. Now the NBA, you could say it eventually went away. And part of it is I'm sure the players are like, dude, we're worth a hundred million dollars. We can't have any of these yahoos out here. And maybe that's wise. But it also is one of the reasons that so many of these and the arena setups, but NBA arenas are comatose. Like the whole sale for college basketball is, hey, we know they're not as good as the other ones, but they got fight songs. They got traditional uniforms. And it's all about the fans and the home court advantage and the student experience. So it's one of those things. And I, Jason, I actually think you put it really, really well. Like, I hope people understand it's more than just about court storming if you take court storming out. Don't get me wrong. There's plenty of other places to have fan interaction. There's plenty of other ways in which fans can be a part of the game. But it is a really cool thing that once a year, you only get one, by the way, you can't get multiple court storms. 
One time you get it. You got to be really, really like, is this the one? I don't know. Is this the one? The, the, the school has to be prepared. The arena has to be prepared. But doing away with it, I just, I'm not there. And I understand it's about player safety and you're putting students in that much proximity and there feels like there's a lot more negativity. And yeah, all that's true. All that's fine. We discuss this every year. And yet we show it on TV. I show pictures of it. It's the same week we had Creighton storm the court against UConn. Nothing happened to the UConn guys, nor should anything happen to any of these players. Make it about what it's about. Okay. School officials and arena security has to be ready for it. Can't come on the court until you got to give the, the visiting team a chance to exit. Keep your hands to yourself and just cheer for your team, man. Just cheer for your team. Isn't the um the fact that this was coming from not just any head coach, but the head coach of Duke. I mean, you know a lot more about this than I do, and you know the background. And I didn't see any other comments over the weekends. Does he share – do other coaches share the sentiment of Shire here, or is he kind of a, a, a standalone opinion on this? Um, I, I think it's uh, – in all honesty uh, – <clears throat> three, two, one. I, I do think it's different because it's Duke. Okay, I do think it's because it's Duke. And, and here's where I will side with uh, John Shire. Okay. Um, there's a different energy when Duke comes to town. It's really one of the lifebloods of the sport. It doesn't matter. It, and it hasn't changed just because Coach Krzyzewski's not there anymore. Now with John Shire, like it's still Duke. People still hate them. We still have a national celebration when they lose in the NCAA tournament. That still really, really happens. Okay. Um, and I, I said this, like they've had plenty of Super Bowl likable teams, but Zion Williamson was the first guy that really made them like everyone, like I, I love Zion. So I love this team. Right. But for the most part, they're the universally most hated program in college basketball. And they're also respected and almost always consistently good. So they probably experience court stormings 2X more than anybody else. Like Kentucky would probably be the only other one. You know, Kansas is right there as well. And really, it's a it's a term of respect. They storm the court, that's the ultimate term of respect. They storm the field, that's the term of respect. But I do think that he's experienced it a ton as a player. He's experienced a ton as assistant coach. And he's seen and heard all of these things. But to answer your question, no, I don't think they all think that way. Um. Because one of the big fights is to get students into their seats at arenas and being loud. You know, that's why they, they still bring them pizzas. Like, I don't know, do, do college students eat pizzas as much anymore? Like, I love pizza, whatever, but it feels like you can door dash anything nowadays. The idea of bringing pizzas to people camping out overnight is like a 25-year-old 25 25-year-old 25 deal. But they still do it. So, because again, the idea is what can we do to reward kids and get them to the arena because otherwise they're just on their phones or they're watching games on TV instead of watching the arena. So I don't think all coaches feel, think that way. But I also think, and I would give a ton of, uh, I would give some leeway to Shire because he's probably experienced it more than anybody else. Than anybody else. Uh, Brian, uh, Brian Finley, have you, 
Have you ever experienced court storming? You've done a game where they storm the court. So, Doug, this is interesting because I was I used to work for a local TV station in Memphis, and that was when and we'd cover Ole Miss football. Hugh Freeze was on the rise, and I was on the field when they beat Ole Miss beat Alabama in 2014 and was absolutely inundated with students. So I have it from a football background. Doug, but not from a basketball background, but it was exciting. It was exhilarating. The students were on the uprights. They pulled down the uprights. They walked them out onto the street and out of the town, and you you couldn't find anywhere to walk on the field because there were seas of people. It was fun, and I never felt like my safety was in danger. Mm. Okay. Um, So, Lorena... Like, have you ever, you ever, what, what is your, again, I, I actually, I, no, no, listen, I enjoy your opinion because it comes from somebody who's totally neutral because this stuff is not something that you're super into, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. And Doug, when you say uh, like uh, storming a field, I think of high school football when they're coming out and they bust through the paper, right? Like that's what I see, but this sounds no, really it's the, intense. The end, it's at the end of a game, you upset an, a, a storied opponent. I like it when it's like a really close game. And the Duke-Wake game was pretty close. Yeah, it sounds like a tradition, though. Like, this sounds like something that goes back for a long time since it, it first started. It so does. why would you get rid of something that's a tradition? Like it's, you said, it's a respect thing. I like well, that. Well, because, because, you know, everyone fears something bad happening. Someone's going to get hurt. Yes. Yes, but everyone gets hurt all the time. It's life. Do you want to be down true. there? Do you want to be down there? Do you have to go down in that pit if you don't want to? No. No, but the uh, I think the question is the the it's a really good question. The visiting team has to be given a chance to get off the court. Yeah, and it I like I protected. like that they need to let them know beforehand. Hey, we're going to do this. Be prepared. Yeah, it feels a little it feels a little inorganic, a little artificial when it happens that way. Yeah. Do they have to tell the team though? Can they just tell the coach? I don't know. Hmm. Um. No, they. they I mean, I, security's got to know. You, everyone, first of all, just, just so we're aware, on a college campus or even when they play an arena off, off campus, everyone knows when there's a, a possibility of this happening, right? Like you look at a game and I'll, I'll give you one. I'm doing that last UCLA Arizona game. It's March 7th at Poly Pavilion. Now, UCLA hasn't drawn well this year. They just played USC, lost at home, and I don't know what it was at game time before the game. I saw pictures, not great. But for Arizona, last time you play Arizona before UCLA goes to the Big Ten, Arizona goes to the uh, Big 12, traditionally the best rivalry in the West Coast in terms of college basketball, my guess is that's one where if you're Poly Pavilion, you're like, you know what, guys, we're going to need some more security. Because there's potentially court storming. And you'll know leading up based upon the numbers of tickets sold. It doesn't happen. Like if there's like 4,000 people in a 10,000 seat arena, you're good. You're fine. It's Duke comes to town. Kansas comes to town. The arch rival comes to town. The number one team in your league comes to town. UConn comes to town. You got to prepare for it. And that's it. That's uh, Seriously, that's all that needs to happen. We talk about all this other shit that doesn't fucking matter. You're like, wow, you know, we got to find kids and expel kids from school. And like, if they step on a court, like, dude, here's the rules. You get one court storming a year. Everyone knows the type of games it's going to happen in. Okay. And it's up to the adults to prepare for it. That's it. 
that fair? Does anybody else have an issue with that? Like, what are we doing? We're we getting rid of that stuff. I mean, again, there are this to your point, Lorena. It's like it, it's like a, the the excessive hand washing in our. Now I wash my hands a lot because people are gross. I, but I also know that my travels I built up. I have a crazy immune system. Crazy immune system. Crazy. And I'm sure it's because I've traveled so much and I've taken in so many germs and fought them off, whatever. But, you know, it's like we protect people and they wash their hands all the time and they become bubble boy and whatever. And then when they do get sick, they get really, really sick. You can't protect everybody from everything. But you just got to be smart about it. But eliminating it, I don't know, strikes at the core of, of, of college sports, which is, I think, what you're saying, Jay Stu. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, what about you, Brian? Like, again, you're allowed to have a differing opinion, just so you know, like, again. I think that makes for good radio, doesn't it, Doug, to have uh, differing opinions? But, yeah, I, I agree. I, You know, and I, I'm probably going to be at that March 7th game, UCLA-Arizona. Although, Doug, when you see a, a proud program like UCLA and obviously the struggles that they've been dealing with this year on, on the basketball court, let's say that they do win against Arizona – what does that say about UCLA? Doesn't that look, I don't want to say embarrassing, but low for them to do that given all of their history and that they're rushing the court after just beating a top 10 team? I get it. Yeah, we're too good. We're too good for that. We're UCLA. By the way, that's UCLA's problem. Okay. Like, if you want the fake bullshit talk from other people, that's fine. But everybody in the sport knows the biggest problem with UCLA is they've always acted and thought they're better than everybody else. Right, that's what's that's the problem with UCLA since John Wooden left was we're better than everybody else. Like, hmm. There's a lot of great things about UCLA. My brother and sister hold degrees from UCLA. I was offered a scholarship by UCLA. I wanted to go there when I transferred. Like, I love UCLA basketball. So what you'll get when this drops and we promote it, you'll get people going, there's Gottlieb hating on UCLA basketball. If you think that, you're a fucking idiot. Okay? You're an idiot. Some of my best friends that I played with growing up, J.R. Henderson, Kriston Johnson, went there and played. Um, still close with Lav, uh, all the Herrick staff. You know, my sister was a cheerleader and babysat for Mark Godfrey's kid. Uh, you know, to, to Ben Howland, to now Mick. Okay? And what Mick would love to say, but won't ever say, is problem with UCLA basketball is they, they always underpaid coaches. Why? Because they're like, well, you get to coach for UCLA. Well, that's not how it fucking works. Like, that doesn't really resonate. Don't get me wrong. Historically unbelievable. But, like, to those kids, you say you it's, it's a lot like, did you guys see the viral post? I can't remember whose podcast it was. Um, but uh, Justin Fields was talking about Ohio State, the greatest, the Mount Rushmore at Ohio State. And he left off Archie Griffin. And he literally had no idea who Archie Griffin was, and then he won back-to-back Heisman trophies. Now, it's blasphemous, and you have to be taught the history of a place. You better fucking know who Archie Griffin is if you play at Ohio State. Right? There's only one man to win two Heisman trophies in back-to-back year in all of college football history, and he happened to play at Ohio State. So what you, what you should have said was, oh, my God, I didn't know. There's Mount Rushmore, and then there's Archie Griffin, who's above Mount Rushmore. You know, Archie Griffin is like, What's that statue in Rio where it's like, um, is it uh, the queen? Uh, the, uh, it's like Jesus or something. It's not, I don't think it's Jesus. Mary? Is it Mary or is it Jesus? The big statue like overlooking all of- I'm pretty uh, sure it's Jesus. Is that Jesus? Yeah. All right, good. That's who 
Archie Griffin is to Ohio State football. Okay? He is Jesus H. Christ. By the way, is Jesus' middle name really H? I don't know, or is it just your mom said that to you? Sorry for that aside. But the point is that, like, literally it doesn't matter to kids. It just doesn't. Like, you're talking about people that are senior citizens now and how they played. It should. It's a great place. And they won national title in 95, my senior year in high school. Okay, I was there, I remember, in Seattle. Um, and they, of course, the back-to-back Final Fours during the Howland era. But their problem is they fucking think they're better than everybody else. And you know what? You're not. The second you think that's that's called arrogance. All right? It's called arrogance. And Now, I agree with it sometimes, sometimes. But I, I was there, by the way, when they beat Duke. Okay? And it was at, I, it was probably the best team that Herrick ever had was not the 95. 95, ah, that's not true. 95 team was amazing. They only lost two games, I think, that year. One or two games. Anyway, the 90, I think it was 91 team, they beat Duke, who eventually went on and won the national championship. They stormed the court, tipped over Vital's uh, table, went crazy. like, oh, 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 oh. By the way, Lorena, that's Dick Vital. Uh, he's got vocal problems now. He's in the Hall of Fame. And trust me, it's a really good impression to go, oh, let me tell you about Jim Herrick and Mike Krzyzewski and Roy Williams. I wish oh, people could see this, Doug. <laughs> it's awesome with a capital A. Oh, he's a PTP, a primetime performer. Right? This is our, our whole life, uh, 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 whole life watching for me playing and now covering college basketball. That's what it's been about. So, by the way, to the UCLA people, like, we're too good for that. Hey, guess what, dickhead? Back when you actually were good, you stormed the court. You stormed the court. Yes, go ahead. Adding to your points about, adding to your points, Doug, about, about UCLA, their biggest problem right now is that they're way behind in the NIL space. And yeah, because they think they're too good for it. Well, they think people are supposed to go like, oh, my God, UCLA offered me a scholarship. I should go to UCLA and turn down hundreds of thousands of dollars elsewhere. And guess what? I agree with you that you should. You will get way, way more out of playing at UCLA or playing at Stanford than you would playing at Arizona State, playing at New Mexico. OK, and 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 look. If you're a New Mexico fan, you're listening to this, and you're like, oh, Gottlieb's talking shit. Like, no, I'm not. I'm telling you the real shit. Okay? Richard Pertino would tell you that. Like, look, if you want to live in New Mexico, which I have, I like the land of enchantment. Santa Fe's amazing. Okay? There's good parts, there's bad parts, whatever. You want to live in New Mexico and be an icon, you can. Go to New Mexico, play. It's a great environment. Okay? But if you choose New Mexico, and I'm just using it as a, they've done very well in the portal. It's a really good, they're actually better than UCLA this year. You want to do New Mexico, and take more money. That's great. I would much rather, for the next 50 years, have played at UCLA or at Stanford. Like, But again, that's not how most people around college basketball think. They're like, hey, dude, does it really fucking matter? Go and play somewhere you can play, a style you can play, and go get paid now because you may not get paid later. And I look at things differently. And part of it is I've experienced. The reason I went to Notre Dame was because I was thinking about 50 years not four. Because Notre Dame is a national school with a national brand. They take care of their people. It's one of the great things about Oklahoma State is like they take care of they take care of us. Uh, like they, people they 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 want to hire alums. Now, there's obviously more people to hire or more alums to hire in Texas and in Arkansas and in 
Kansas as well as Oklahoma. Like that's more home base, but like it's a it's a great kind of tradition and family to be a part of. Like you're marrying, you're basically marrying into a family when you're taking one of these scholarships. So I agree with you, but you're right. UCLA UCLA has a bunch of problems NIL wise. First thing is they that a lot of their alums are like arrogant. Hey, it's UCLA. You should want to come here. That was one of the reasons that for a long time they struggled to get a great head coach. Um, and then the second part to it is that they're trying to be good at all the sports. And that's really hard, you know? Um, and it's also just life's expensive if you're in Southern California. So even though a uh, hundred thousand dollars may not mean as much on your, for your, like your house, a hundred thousand dollars is giving up a lot more than if you're in Louisiana and you're donate to LSU and everything's paid off and you got a lot more, you got a lot more money to, to spend and to throw out at a program, regardless of the fact there's no real return on investment. And then UCLA has got issues in which they can't, um, they can't, it's hard to get grad transfers in, hard to get transfers in the schedules don't align for stuff. Um, so there's other, there's other issues there. The football team plays an hour from, from campus on a Saturday all those things hurt it as well. But in terms of the analysis, you're right. I don't know what it actually is. I think it's a little bit better than they're making it out to be. And right now you're competing in a league that there's very few teams that really have quality NIL space. Um, but it's a real thing, what you're saying. I mean, just again, imagine you're going to recruit a player and you say, hey, man, you come to UCLA. Like, okay, coach. And they're not supposed to talk about what the NIL is, so the way you have to do it and wording is, well, a player like you at a position at your type of age, what they could probably make is, and then you got to tell them a number and say your number is a buck fifty. You're like, man, $150,000. That's awesome. That's awesome. So then what happens is Texas Tech calls. And you say, hey, man, I'm coach, I'm really thinking about going to UCLA and I'm pretty close to taking that deal. And like, well, what if we offered you $500,000? You're like, okay, wait. So I have nine months in Westwood at UCLA. I would get $150,000. Nine months in Lubbock, I would get $500,000. I mean, are, are any of us not taking the deal in Lubbock? I'm taking it. Right? I'm taking it. <laughs> and and I'd like to I'd like to think that if I was This is what a lot of coaches will tell you. Like, look, <clears throat> Mick will probably tell you like you got to get me close. Like you don't have to get me to 500, but you give me to 200, 250, 300. And you go like, "Look, man, we can't get you to 500. We're at like we're at like 300." Okay? But this is UCLA. Right? This is UCLA. More national championships than anybody. Okay, one of the fine public institutions in all of the world. You're in Los Angeles, world-class city. You're right down the street from the Lakers. Okay, you're going to play in the Big Ten, which plays on every network. Okay, we're UCLA. And no disrespect to Texas Tech. Good school, great college town, you know, unbelievable home court environment. All that stuff is good. Good coach, nothing. But this is UCLA. But if the, the gap is so ginormous, what are we doing here? That's the real world of college athletics. Let's get to what the Fox said. And now. What does the Fox say? By the way, do I get, do I get any um, added kudos 
for what I saw the story you just sent me. You want you want to share with me what you just sent there, Jay Stu? Um, the ESPN no longer considers Bronny James a one and done prospect. Is the is this the author that you always have been? Jonathan Giovanni? Yeah, yeah. This is the guy yeah. that you've and, always and, and named. And look, listen, I actually truly respect Jonathan. I don't know if it's Givoni or Giovanni. Okay. I and I respect him because, like, here's a guy who just started a website and covers the entire world for of the NBA draft, has great connections, and he works his ass off. So this is not me being critical and saying he does, but I'm I'm led to believe on common sense, not because I have any inside knowledge, that if you remember a year ago, Bronny was considered not just a one and done prospect, but he had him as the tenth pick in the draft. And this time last year, I said in front of this mic, hey, he might not be one of the top 10 players in his high school league, the Mission League, which last year was the best high school league in the country. Right? I mean, just in, if, if you don't realize it, there's a school called Notre Dame, which is in Sherman Oaks, which is literally, what, 10, five, 10 minutes from where we broadcast from. And they're in the same league. And last year they beat Bronny James's team four times. And it got worse every time. That team had Caleb Foster, who's at Duke, Jared McCain, who's at Duke, Dusty Stromer, who's at Gonzaga, and Mercy Miller. Excuse me, Jared McCain played at, uh, he played at, Comp, uh, at Corona Centennial. So it had Caleb Foster, Dusty Stromer, and Mercy Miller. Mercy Miller is uh, uh, Master P's son, and he's going to Houston, and he's an All-American this year. He was only a junior last year. Like, he wasn't, and I've always said this, like, he's a four-year player. He's a good kid. He's a good player. And by the end of his career, he could very well be a first-team All-Pac-12 guy, maybe even All-American. But he he's not six feet two. He's got to learn to be a point guard. He's never learned to take over a game. It's one of the mistakes I thought his dad made in his development was by putting him at Sierra Canyon, he was just a cog in, a, in really good teams that were loaded where you have to learn to be an alpha. You got to learn to take over games. And I'm I'm led to believe that Javoni was, It's I don't think it was buying in. He created the hype, so I don't go buying into the hype. I think it was just one of those things where you feel a little bit pressured, you know? Do you want to lose out on all the clutch stuff? And if you're really, really honest about Bronny James, maybe he felt like he'd get he wouldn't be able to have conversations because clutch doesn't just represent him They're, and NBA players. They represent a ton of college players. Like they have a really good business and it's a really hard thing to do when you're trying to get information on players and contracts and, you know, and, and all that other stuff and, and what somebody uh, and, and how you rank their prospects. Cause it doesn't really matter to NBA people like NBA people don't look at it, but it does create a perception. And I felt bad for Bronny. I, I do want attaboys. I want pats on the back because I've I've never wavered and I've been called a hater and even worse. And I've actually never had anything bad to say about Bronny James because he's never done anything that 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 deserves that. Right? 
On the other hand, I'm not going to sit here and tell you the guy's a first-round draft pick when there's no fucking way in hell. It doesn't start at USC. And, and, and again, like, I, I totally get the, the dad thing. I told I started this thing by telling you I took seven kids to Vegas. If you asked all of their fathers, they would all say, my kid is pronouncedly better than how they actually are. And it's a really hard thing. Like, even my own son, like, I'm really pretty brutally honest. So it's even hard with my own son because I can see it like, well, he's he's small but growing. So what level will he play next year when he's a freshman in high school? I don't know, but my belief is he can play at a higher level than probably most people think he can play. Like, I think, like, look, he's going to have to grow, and he just started growing, right? And if he gets to, you know, 5'8", five, 5'9", five, as a freshman in high school, like, he can play varsity. You know, if he's, like, 5'4", five, 5'5", five, five and growing, it'll be really hard. But I'm trying to find a level for him where he can play in high school and um, be a kind of an alpha, probably play, hopefully play JV his freshman year, but be on a type of program where he can be, if not the best player, one of the better players and be able to start and play free and learn and make mistakes and whatever. That way, his sophomore year, when he's on varsity, now he can be a starting point guard because he's been through it. He learned the system. He understands. That's what you're trying to find in terms of fit. So I don't blame LeBron. He's, I mean, the difference is it's LeBron, right? So when LeBron says he could play for us right now, when LeBron says he's better than NBA players, people lose their mind because they forget that it's, he's just a dad. He's actually a really good dad. Is it doing his son a disservice? Probably. But I would much prefer a dad who shows up to my games, a dad who believes in me above what anyone else would believe in me even if it's crazy talk. But then the job of Javoni and other people who evaluate is to be honest. And in all honesty, like everyone knew this for a long time. I just, I don't understand why he ever ranked him as the 10th best player. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern noon Pacific on Fox sports radio and the iHeartRadio app. Do you love Selena? Like really love whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. Hey. I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my this idea of, what do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. Let's get to what the Fox said. And now. <laughs> what does the Fox say? This is LeVar Arrington talking about Eric Bieniemy taking the offensive coordinator job at UCLA. I think there has to be something that isn't all the way there with Eric Bieniemy. It just, it's, a, it's like in business, the market speaks. You can have a product and you can say, this is the greatest product ever in the history of products. It's amazing. It works. It's, it's proven. And you should have it because it's the best. And if nobody buys it, maybe it is the best product out there. But the market says otherwise. I just get the feeling that that's Eric Bieniemy. Maybe he is a really, really fine football coach. Maybe he is. A, he would be a fine head coach at this point in his career. Maybe he is a fine assistant head coach, uh, offensive coordinator. But I just feel like the market is has spoken on him. There is a reason, and it's more than it, it's more than just I don't know his ability to interview or whatever it may be. There's a reason why he's continuously passed over well i completely agree with lavar the market has spoken okay and i don't think it's it's just one thing i will point out it is amazing that he's the offense coordinator at ucla considering some of the things that he was around when he was at colorado okay people forget there was a massive recruiting scandal when he was at colorado and when i say recruiting scandal it wasn't about paying guys it was about was it strip clubs or hookers or whatever? I think it was taking him to, I think it was taking them to strip clubs. Uh, when he was when he was at when he was at CU, a place where he played, and when he played there, it was a little shady. Okay, so again, I'm not saying that the NFL the NFL doesn't care about all that stuff, but in college at UCLA, a very very liberal institution, like I'm surprised that that thing was greenlit that quickly. Now, in regards to the NFL, I, there's there's a couple different parts to it. First thing is, it's just really hard to get a head coaching job. I've told this story a bunch. Vic Fangio's as respected a defensive mind as any you'll find. It took him like 40 years of being an assistant to get a head coaching job. That lasted two years. Right, Steve Spagnolo, he's been a lifer in the NFL. We've talked about this. He's the defense coordinator with the Chiefs. He was a head coach for three years, I think, with the Rams. It's freaking hard. There's 32 teams. There's a thousand coaches. Right? It's just hard. You got to line it up just right. You got to get a GM and a president that know you, like you, you maybe have worked with before. Right? And you got to, the timing's got to work out. Like everything has to be perfect for you to get a job. That's how hard it is. Look, man, college head coaching jobs are hard to get. They're, they just are. Again, I'll use I'll use a per- personal example. And 
We talked a little bit about this. Last year at this time, actually maybe into March, I had some discussions with, I had more than discussions, I was interviewed extensively with the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. Okay? And uh, I went up to the campus, I met with the committee, I talked with the AD, we met several different times. And by the way, this, like none of this is breaking to my bosses, they know all of this stuff. The best way to handle this, by the way, is just be open and honest with your bosses. I think it's it's been a good learning experience for me. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, at the end of the day, this, this is what happened. There were three finalists for the jobs. I don't know the other finalists. And the way it worked, and I guess this is the way it works a lot of times at the mid-major level is, they sent all three of us contracts because they didn't want to offer you the job and then you not accept the job and then call other guys and tell them, hey, we're not we're going to pass you over because they wanted to call the people that weren't getting it first, then offer the job, then allow them to take the job. But you had already signed the contract. Do you understand? Does it make sense? Do you guys get this? So I literally in my phone and on my computer, I have a contract okay, for to be the head coach at the University of Wisconsin at Green Bay. And Josh, I'm sorry if I'm Josh Moon, the AD, who's a friend. I, I apologize, but I'm using this as perspective and it's it's real. And by the way, Sundance Wicks, who's their head coach, is killing it. Like, should be in the conversation of National Coach of the Year. They have the biggest turnaround in college basketball this season. So he picked the right guy. But if you ask Josh, he was like, I, you know, we became friends. We had a great, he liked my vision. I had it all lined up. I had my assistants. Here's the players we're going to go after. Here's the ones we're going to keep. Here's the ones we're going to go get. Here's how we're going to do it. Here's what we're going to do. And by the way, I was still going to do the radio show. And here's how I'm going to do it. Here's we're going to practice. Here's what I'm going to be. Like we had to line all this stuff up. Right? And when I got the contract, like, ooh, that was a big moment. Like, oh, do I sign this thing? Because if I sign this thing, I'm saying I want it. And I always thought I want it. And I want to take a beat. And I had a dear friend who's a lawyer look over it. He's like, looks good. We put one addendum in it and we signed it. And Josh called me the next day and he's like, look, man, I'm going to hire Sundance Wicks. I was like, I know Sundance. He's a great dude. I'm so happy that he's going to get an opportunity. And he's like, and uh, honestly, like the all part, all things being equal, I'd work with him before. He'd been a head coach before, when I've been in an athletic department. I've been before, Right. And the thing is, like, I, not arrogantly, I, but I think, like, all of the different parts to it, I thought that was a place where they needed energy. They could try something different. It's in an area of the country that that level of player, the high-level or mid-level, mid-major player, there's tons of them in Minnesota and Wisconsin and kids that want to come home. It's the town has more money than other towns because of the Packers. Right. There's all they play downtown half the time. Like it's a and they've won there before, like all those things. It just kind of made sense. And even with that and even doing all of the the legwork it takes to present to a committee what it would look like and turn them into, hey, this could actually work. This would be a good thing. And the day it's like he, he worked with a guy. He's seen what he can do. He has a relationship. That's the smarter play, the safer play. So let's not diminish the fact that it's really fucking hard to get jobs. Heck, what about in radio? How hard is it to get a job in radio? Right? There's, there's, there's more podcasts than ever, but live terrestrial radio or what we have here, 
And why do I have this job? Why did I get this job? I Scott Shapiro's my boss. I work with him at, at ESPN for like a decade. Right? He came in as a hotshot producer and became, you know, an executive producer. And I came in at, at one level in terms of co-hosting a show and became host of my show. And like, I'm not perfect. I have flaws, but he's able to see what the ultimate ceiling is. And we have a great working relationship. So I think that's part of it. I don't think he's a, the, the, the bad interview thing, like that's not really accurate. The difference was he was seen as uh, on some level, not a huge prep guy in interviews. And when you're in a league where you're an offensive coordinator, but the head coach calls the plays, they bring in a, a run game coordinator, pass game coordinator. And the question is, what do you do? That, that question was still out there. Then he gets a chance to coach his own offense with the Washington commanders and it didn't go well. And the personality rubbed people the wrong way. So I, I actually think hiring him in college, the Colorado stuff aside, works. Why? Because as a college coordinator, you can, hey man, I called this play with Pat Mahomes and we won a Super Bowl. Right? Everybody wants to go where he's been. It completely works. And nowadays, you don't really have to recruit. Right? You just don't. Um, so I, I think the market has spoken. I think there was a sense of nobody knew what he did in Kansas City. And when he got a chance to prove himself, it wasn't great. It wasn't the worst or a disaster, you know. But let's also remember, they changed regimes. Like, he also can't admit that he got fired. Well, I could have stayed. I chose to leave. Like, dude, they brought a new head coach, a new general manager, a new president, a whole new staff. You could have gotten paid, but you couldn't have stayed. Um, but this is the life of, of a college football coach and an NFL coach. You take the best possible opportunity. The market has spoken. Does it mean he'll never be a head coach? No. I mean, there's a world there where he does a really good job at Colorado, at UCLA, and then when Dion leaves Colorado, he can circle back. And get, but remember, he wasn't even a candidate when CU came open. He didn't want that, and they didn't want him. So, yeah, there's some stuff there. Here's Colin Cowherd talking about the Denver Nuggets. Even though the Niners and the Chiefs ended up in the Super Bowl, it was a little bit of a surprise. I mean, the Chiefs only averaged 22 points a game this year. They scuffed it offensively, middle of the pack. Baltimore, I thought, was much better all year long. Miami, Buffalo, a couple of the very dangerous teams. Uh, San Francisco, I didn't really see Brock Purdy hoisting a trophy. Philadelphia started on fire. I bought into the Cowboys hype for a few weeks. But in the NBA, Denver's going to win, barring an injury, Back-to-back titles. Jokic yesterday, 32 points, 16 rebounds, and get this, 16 assists. That would have been a great night for Magic Johnson. The Warriors had been red hot, got a couple of young players playing well, their rotation working fine. They were at home. They got off to a great start and lost to this Denver team for the ninth time in 10 tries. They can't solve them. They don't match up with them. And the Warriors 2022 won the championship. But Jokic is different. This Denver team, they're the Spurs with Tim Duncan. Perfectly built roster. Get ready for a dynasty. It's not going to be Shaq-Kobe dynasty. It's not going to have the drama of the Michael Jordan dynasty or the Heedle dynasty. And we've had some fun ones. Yeah, I, I'm not there yet. 
I'm not even close to being there yet. I love watching Jokic play. He's a dominant player. There's a lot to discuss in terms of of uh, of um, NBA basketball and where we're headed. Right? There's been a lot of discussion about AAU basketball and the way in which foreign players have come in and dominated. But like, let's not make the same mistake we make all the time. The Cubs were supposed to be a dynasty. They won one World Series. Right? They're supposed to be a dynasty. They won one World Series. Um, the the Seahawks went to two Super Bowls, won one. Right? And that was as good a defense as we've ever seen. The Chicago 85 Chicago Bears won Super Bowl. In the NBA, we haven't had a lot of one-offs, but we've had some. The Mavs one off. Now I think he's a much better, more well-rounded player than Dirk is because he's a better rebounder and he's a much better passer. Okay? Not the shooter that Dirk was. Dirk was an amazing shooter scorer. Incredible. Okay? But the other things, and he's, and he's actually better defensively as he protects the rim. And, you know, Dirk was not much of a de- defender, but they won one title, one title. Now, if you want to tell me like, hey, Jamal Murray hadn't even made an all-star game yet and, you know, we're just, Michael Porter's just now coming to his own and so too Aaron Gordon is an incredible role. Yes, but remember, they lost, they had to change their bench from last year. So I'm just not going to use the D word until I see them win multiple titles or get to multiple finals. We're really, really far away from that point. That's what the Fox said. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The Nikki Glazer Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glazer Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glazer Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glazer Podcast to start listening. Let's find out who or what's annoying Jason Stewart. And now, it's your annoying. Hey, Doug, um, Russell Wilson was on with Brandon Marshall, I Am Athlete podcast, and he said this. You sitting here at 35, you say you feel the best you've ever felt. Do you still have that obsession? I got more fire than ever, honestly, especially if- over the past two years of what I've gone through, whether it's in Denver or somewhere else. I, I hope it's in Denver. You know, I hope I get to finish there. I, I, I committed there. I wanted to be there. You know, I want to be there. For me, it's about winning. Over the next five years, I want to win too. I want to feel the chill of that trophy again. You know, I, I love the city and everything else. But, you know, you also want to be a place that, that wants you too. Now, uh, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt here, uh, Doug. Everyone's focusing on, I want to win five Super Bowls no, in the next five years, I want to win two. That's what that's what he says. In the next five years, I want to win two. And I'm hoping he meant two as in T-O-O. Right? I'm hoping that's what he meant because he's not going to win two Super Bowls in five years, right? I just – look, look, we, we talk around a lot in circles about Russell – and we make sure that we, um, we make sure that the things that we, the way in which we talk about him, okay, we make sure that we act as if um, what he said has some part of reality. Like I, I heard the whole interview, and he basically made it out to, you know, it became about his contract. And this woe is me that they called him to take the injury thing out of his contract. And like, oh, NFL teams are doing you dirty. Like, remember, he got all his money and he's going to get a bunch of money to walk away. Right? I'm so fucking tired of NFL players, former players especially, who are just like curiously omitting the fact that he gets a massive check when they buy him out to go away. I think, what, $39 million? Is that right? Sounds right. Yeah. Like, he had a choice, a very simple choice. And the, the, the choices are really, really simple. Like, do away with your injury uh, injury protection, and we want to rework your contract, and we can find a way to potentially keep you here. But if not, we're going to give you a check for $39 million to not play football for us. And you're fucking complaining about it? How do I get that? And by the way, he's free to sign, once they do it, with anybody he wants for any dollar amount. Stop lying to people and act like the NFL or the and the reason the Broncos are doing it is because he's not any good anymore. Because Sean Payton cares about one thing on earth. You know what that one thing is? Winning football games. His job is to win football games. And again, I don't know. I'm not there every day. You're not there every day. I can tell you what people in the building think. You want to hear it? Here's what it is. He thinks he can't read a, read a field. Okay. 
He doesn't move nearly as well anymore, and that was his his superpower. The teams he was on in Seattle were built around kind of ground and pound, great defense, and then late in the game, Russell could do Russell things and run around and make plays. But, like, again, the two people telling you this, who he is now as a football player, and are ready to move on from him, are Pete Carroll, who's won a Super Bowl and been to two, and Sean Payton, who's won a Super Bowl, been to two, and both are widely respected coaches. And they both had the exact same opinion of Russell Wilson. And when a guy is a quarterback guru and a great play caller comes in and says, that guy, I can't have him on my team based upon, one, how he's playing at this point in his career, two, how he carries himself, and three, maybe most importantly, the percentage of the salary cap. Like, I can hide his weaknesses a lot more. If he's making $5 million, by all means, I'd have him. But I'd also bring in another quarterback to compete with him because he might do what I want. And, oh, yeah, by the way, I can build a great offensive line and more skill, good skill position players. But Sean Payton doesn't think he's good enough. That's what the net net is. And they're paying him $39 million to go play football anywhere but Denver. So, no, he's not going to win two, two Super Bowls. No, he's not going to win two Super Bowls. I, and, and really, when you want to get down to it, they had an interim head. Didn't they have an interim head coach at the end of last year? Uh, I think they let Hackett go before the season ended. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think so. So if you asked Hackett, he'd have the same opinion too. Okay? And maybe you don't. we don't value Hackett's opinion because he wasn't a good head coach, but he does know a thing or two about quarterback play. Like you ask those guys, they'll all say the same thing. Like doesn't have the arm strength anymore. Doesn't move the same way anymore. Kind of arrogant. Wants to do his own thing, wants to call his own number, doesn't see the entire field. Like, oh, well, that's not a $40 million a year quarterback. Okay, so pay him the check, start over. That's what they're doing. Yeah, the very forgettable Jerry Rossberg uh, coached the last two games of last season. Um, so this is a fun one. You just spent a long time on Eric Bieniemy, and I appreciate all of that. But you and I have been talking about this offseason, how curious it's been that there hasn't been any, like, like rip pieces on the NFL for Eric Bien may not get in a job. Like why has that dissipated? What has changed in the last year? Cause we saw it a whole bunch a year ago. Right. But our guy, Mike Freeman is still on that. Oh, beat. is he Mike Freeman? And I, you know, you know, the realities of the, the newspaper industry and uh, you know, online newspaper industry, the writers don't always write the headlines. Yeah. So when I saw the headline, I thought maybe the editor did him dirty here. Headline of Mike Freeman's USA Today column yesterday is, the NFL should be ashamed of itself that Eric Bieniemy has to coach in college. And I'm like, wow, man, that's that's just wrong and harsh. Why? why how did the editor do him that? So here, here's what <laughs> Mike Freeman has to write. Eric Bieniemy may be happy, and who who am I to say something? Uh, someone shouldn't be happy. Bieniemy may also be doing what he wants. He may see what he's doing as something that's an, as important as any NFL coaching job. All that may be true, but the news first reported by ESPN that Bienemy has taken a job at UCLA is also something, something else. It's shameful. It's shameful that a coach who won a Super Bowl has to flee to college. It's shameful that Bienemy, who helped craft and create a career of Patrick Mahomes, has to run to college. 
It's embarrassing for the NFL, its teams, its owners, and that's someone who has to go as good as the enemy has to scamper off to college. Um, there's so many things wrong in these first three paragraphs. We've been talking about how college coaches have been trying to get to the NFL and get away from college. Yes. So he's wrong in that aspect. And he's implying that the NFL should be ashamed for losing Eric Bieniemy and not promoting him to a head coach at some point. As LeVar Arrington just said in the piece we played, the, market's, the market has spoken in the NFL. You gave a bunch of reasons why he hasn't been hired. And Mike Freeman's implication throughout this entire piece is that it's race. Um, I think we can cross this, this one off. I don't think that the reason Eric Bieniemy isn't a head coach in the NFL is about his race, Doug. I don't think I know. I know. Not just because I've spoken to people who have hired coaches. They've also hired black coaches in, instead of him. Not because they were black, but because they thought they were better candidates. But it's like, okay, you do know the NFL incentivizes, incentivizes teams to hire minorities at a higher position than the one, or as a head coach, the higher position than the one that they had with their program. Like the San Francisco 49ers, they have these compensatory picks because Robert Sala left and because, um, oh man, uh, oh God, he did a great job at Houston this year, head coach. Oh man, I played at Alabama, played for the Niners, linebacker. Why am I, why am I blanking? What the heck is the Houston Texans head coach name? I have D'Amico Ryan. D'Amico Ryan, sorry. D'Amico Ryan's and Robert Sala leave as defensive coordinator, get named head coaches. The Niners get compensatory picks. Okay, so look, for if Kansas City could have helped him get a job, or if the Commanders could have helped him get a head coaching job, they would have gotten compensatory picks. Every like it's actually there's that it's kind of like affirmative action, right? To like we want more quality, diverse candidates. But not every guy who's a coach should be a head coach. Not just because they're black, not just because they're white. Not because they're old, not because they're young. And again, like I laid out earlier in the pod, a lot of things have to line up. But all you need to know, like I I knew this for a long time and, you know, this is why you and I have been talking about it. Like just read the fucking tea leaves. They weren't going to bring him back two years ago in Kansas City. When they made a hire of Eberflus in in Chicago, granted, Matt Nagy was their last head coach. He had previously been the Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator, so that would have been hard. But the offensive coordinator, Ryan Poles, came from Kansas City. So if he wanted to hire him, he would have hired him. The Colts hired uh, the, the Colts general manager, uh, Chris Ballard. Where was he before he's in Indy? Kansas City, right? If and he needed a head coach, he by the way he hired a head coach who was an offensive coordinator. Do you know who that was? Shane Steichen. Did he hire him because he's a racist? No. He hired him because he wants to win football games and thought Shane Steichen gives him the best chance to win football games. And a guy he had worked with before in Eric Bieniemy, he passed on. That's how business works, Mike. That's it. So to all of you bullshitters who don't invest in what's really going on, and don't do your job as a reporter. Remember when Houston was, it's so racist. They're so racist. Really? Okay. Or maybe, and look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I know about 
people and the uncomfortability, comfortability of of some people. But we do this thing where we think, well, owners, they want a guy to hang out with. Like, no, they fucking don't. They don't. Owners don't care. You know, it's really cool when you have really good players and you play in a Super Bowl. Then the owner gets the strut on the sideline because their money is buying them a Super Bowl. That's what's really cool. There aren't boosters. You don't have to get venture capitalists. You don't need your head coach to go out and raise money. What makes money in football, in professional football, is one thing. Winning. That's it. It is a bottom line business. And the problem with Freeman is he hasn't worked in a bottom line business. He hasn't offered up the, 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 he hasn't offered up that that's because he lives in a world where in his mind, things are based upon things that have nothing to do with the reality. And so Jason, you're right. I'm glad you picked it out. We don't need to do any more. He's annoying, but more than anything, we, we just have to stop and realize where we are in society and take a breath and try and understand how jobs are actually decided. I mean, like, look, Steve Wilkes is the perfect example. Remember when he was, oh, man, when he was let go in Arizona after one year and it was a disaster, people were like, oh, dude, he only got one year. Plenty of coaches have only got one year. The Denver Broncos had an offensive coordinator who was hired as head coach. He lasted one year. That happened. And before that, they had Vic Fangio, who's more decorated than all of them. He lasted two years. So, yeah, I'm with you. The Freeman thing's annoying. Does he still write for USA Today? He does, yeah. Okay. But, like, this is I could have written his column for him in his tone and his voice before it ever happened. By the way... We're, we're acting like Eric Bieniemy is out of a job. Oh, man, he's got to go to college. I would guess he's making $2 million a year. Huh? And, oh, yeah, by the way, Mike Freeman is completely overlooking the fact that uh, good luck getting that thing through HR. And not because I'm reporting anything that I don't know or that you don't know. No, no, no. I'm just talking about all the stuff that went down. He was around when he was at Colorado. That it's at, at state institutions that are worried about getting sued more than worried about good being good at sports. That's a real thing. So Mike Freeman, once again, you're a nutty! Why are we doing this? Because we can. Um, you know, um, Kevin Garnett and... Uh, Paul Pierce have a podcast. It's called The Ticket and the Truth. Uh, great alliteration. The Ticket and the Truth. And Kevin Garnett shared this story about Michael Jordan and the All-Star Game at Chicago. The players are the only thing that can change this. The players will come out soon. Listen, Jordan came in. There. Listen, I think the players need to understand the history, too. For all the players out there, man, Mike Jordan came into Chicago and told every nigga in the Chicago locker room, hey, look, this Chicago. You motherfuckers don't want to play? Sit the fuck down. We ain't finna get this product to the people in Chicago that come out, pay their hard-earned money to watch the All-Star. Y'all sick the fuck. He told Pistons, Cleveland, he told everybody in the East. Y'all don't want to play sick the fuck down. It's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. So we sit there and act like, hey, this is how it's always been. But the truth is, it's not. It's taken on this just, it, and it, it irritates fans. 
It irritates fans. There's something about having an honor be bestowed upon you by be told you're one of the 25 best in the entire world at what you do. And taking that for granted, I think is incredibly irritating. Why can we play it for you? Because we can. Let's get to our pick of the day. Okay, sir, the bet is to you. All in, baby! It's time for the pick of the day. All right, pick of the day. P-O-D. Pick of the day. Pick of the day. Comes to you from college basketball, where I've just been um, making you guys so much money that um, you don't know what to do with. So you're welcome. Your summer home, your trip to Vail, you're welcome. I do what I can. Um, TCU takes on Baylor tonight. The Bears lost an absolute heartbreaker. Absolute heartbreaker to Houston. Down big, came back, tied it, took the lead, lost in overtime to the Cougs at home. First loss in Foster Pavilion. Now they travel to take on TCU. Miami travels to take on North Carolina. Now Miami made a lot of waves last year with... uh, with making the Final Four and because they were so big in NIL, but they've had the opposite of it this year. It's kind of been, not kind of, it's been more than a little bit of a, a disaster, to be totally candid with you. Okay, so let me give you some picks here. I'm going to actually give you a parlay, and I think you're going to like it. Okay? Um, I like uh, K-State minus 9.5 at home against West Virginia. Okay, West Virginia is... They have an interim head coach. They can be looking for a new head coach. They have a really talented roster, but on the road at K-State, who desperately needs a win, coming off one of their big wins of the season. I'm going to take K-State. I'm going to take North Carolina to win and to cover the 13.5, which is a gigantic number, but Miami is feels like they've, they've shut it down for a year. Uh, but I'm going to take Baylor to pull off the upset and beat TCU. Okay, I think Baylor had been trending in the right direction. They lost their last two, okay, after winning five of six. And they've they now they've struggled on the road some, and they lost 105 to 102 to TCU at home. All right, so here's the here's the picks. Okay. We're gonna take the over in Baylor TCU. It's 147 and a half. The over in that game. We're gonna take uh gonna take K-State to cover against West Virginia. Okay, so over Baylor TCU, Kansas State minus nine and a half at home. That's it for the pick of the day. That's it for the In the Bonus podcast. Check out the rest of the radio show. Download it wherever you download this podcast. It's the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season, and so are we. I'm Tori Deal, and I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars Four is finally here, and this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love Love at First first Listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Carol G. Juan Gabriel. Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common? You mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct, but most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.